Hey, welcome back. This is Chuck Quinley, and you are tuned to Thread. Uh, my computer is in the shop, and with it are all my sound files, so had to make do with a different intro music today. Welcome back. We've been on a little bit of a break because of the holidays, but we are back in the saddle here, and we are on Thread number 24. This has been a real uh, exciting last few weeks for me because... We are uh, opening the doors now to our new media training center here in northern Thailand. And we've got students from different countries. They're coming together now. We're going to be living in community for the next 10 weeks while we are shaped as far as our spirituality and our leadership ability and in our skills as a communicator. So we're, uh, we're really excited about the Lord bringing all these good people together. Uh, and if you're interested in something like that, uh, our second training will be probably second week of January of 2000, well, that'd be 11. Uh, so you're a year away. We've got some short-term trainings, but that's the best one that we have and the best option. You can email me, chuck at quinley.com, and I'll get right back to you on that. All right. Well, if you... Have your Bibles, and hopefully you'll get them, because we're going verse by verse. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21 today. All right, Mark 8, 1 through 21. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar. Now, this is the second time that we have a miracle involving food. They're actually pretty close to each other in the uh, text. Uh, This one is not on the Jewish side. He's back over in Decapolis where he healed the demoniac and sent the man back to testify. And this man has been a very effective um, public relations vehicle for Jesus. He He has marketed Jesus to the masses. He's gone city by city, and he has shared the story of what Jesus did in his life, and nothing is as powerful as a testimony. And whereas the first time Jesus showed up, in Decapolis, he met that man and some people watching pigs, and the demons came out, the pigs, the demons went into the pigs, the pigs went into the water, they drowned, and the people asked him to leave, and that was the end of the missions trip. But he had planted the seed of the kingdom, that mustard seed, into the heart of this one unnamed man. And now this brother has gone, and he's gone through Decapolis, means ten cities, He has gone through city after city, going to the public place and telling his captivating story. I mean, he lived in the tombs with the dead. He cut himself with stones. He was demonized not by one demon, but by hundreds and hundreds and maybe a thousand demons. Uh, He had an amazing story to tell. And they listened. And he said, it's Jesus that did it. So now Jesus has come back to this region and people have come from Uh, all around to hear him teach. And that's something he wasn't getting uh, enough of on the other side. They were there for a lot of reasons. Uh, Teaching might have been one of those. But these people have stayed with him for three days, and he's been able to 
pour out his heart to them. They don't have much access to the kind of ministry that he brought them and to teaching about the scriptures. And so he has come to this sort of mixed Jew-Gentile area east of the Jordan River. And now, uh, and he feels connected to them, you know. He feels connected to anyone who's spiritually hungry. He turned to his disciples one day and said, this is my family. These are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. And, you know, if, if you're hungry for God, God feels connected to you. So his disciples in verse 4 turn to him and they say, well, you know, how are we going to get enough food for these people? They don't even ask the other question. You know, the last time this same miracle happened, they said, you realize how much money it's going to cost to feed all these people, even one piece of bread. Well, on the eastern side, there's apparently there's not even a way to do that. There, there's just not food there. There aren't the, the resellers. It's not a populated area. And Jesus turns to them and he says, let's go over this again. How many loaves do you have? And they said seven. And they start again. You see, everybody in the ministry has to learn to believe God for provision, especially in unusual situations and now here's this multitude and jesus turns to his disciples and says they have a need it's an urgent need we need to we need to reach out and meet this need these people are hungry and they may faint on the way home Uh, his faith is always there that god will provide in in cases like this you just reach out by faith and take it because god has and god has not just enough but God has more than enough, and he's wanting to pass on this faith to these disciples, and he wants them to see themselves as strong men, as men who can who can nurture and take care of multitudes of people, because that's going to be their role as leaders. So Jesus again takes over. He makes everybody sit down. They break the bread. They give it to the people, and they have a few small fish, and he breaks them. Same miracle. In essence, this is their daily uh, food need. And the the people ate, verse 8, it says they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. And those who had eaten were about 4,000. And again, they only counted men in those days. So this multitude is much larger than that. God doesn't just want you to have enough. He's not just uh, interested in meeting your needs and keeping you out of debt and giving you daily bread to live on. He wants to give you more than enough so that you can meet the needs of other people. You can bless others with your overflow. And I'm believing that for you. Now, after this um, time here, this teaching time, uh, he comes back together with his disciples and he says, okay, this was a great, successful outreach. Let's let's cut it at this point, and let's head home. Sorry, a barking dog outside. Um, I'm hold on. Okay, a little. That was a little taste of missionary life. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here in uh, our our uh, illustrious studios here. Are at the edge of a rice field. Uh, overlooking the foothills of the Himalaya. So it's really a beautiful view out my window, which I'm about to shut, so these guys will be quiet. But something about Thai society, every single house has dogs. 
and they uh, patrol the street outside. So if anybody strange comes into the area, they sound the alarm, and I guess they're doing their job right now very well. Okay, back to our story. So Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat, and they go back across to the western side, the Jewish side, where he has come from, and he steps out of the boat, and as soon as he steps out of the boat, he steps right into conflict. Uh, Verse 11, the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking a sign from heaven. You know, so now he's gone in the same day from a three-day, you know, he just wrapped up three days of very effective ministry with hungry people, and he's gone just a few hundred miles, but he's gone back into a conservative religious area. And as soon as he gets there, he just steps right into this ongoing battle. And actually, it's not just ongoing. This year, it becomes an escalating battle. We call this the the year of opposition because these fights never never go down. They just get bigger and bigger week after week. So they're demanding him, you know, on the spot right now, call down fire from heaven. And verse 12 says he sighed deeply in his spirit and he asked a question. Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no more signs will be given to this generation. Now, these people have ignored hundreds of signs. There are people walking around all over the place that have been healed of every form of disease uh, they're just ignoring all that. This this has nothing to do with a, a sincere effort to uh, test the fruit of his ministry, which is a reasonable thing to ask for. That's not what they're doing at all. Uh, they just want him to stop. And it's as though he's abruptly changed the channel. He went from you know one exciting channel, and then he got in a boat for a very short boat ride, and steps out on the shore and you just like switch channel and he's just in this crazy uh, circumstance. But you know, that's something also about leaders. Uh, leaders must be able to handle multiple challenges and handle them simultaneously. You know, I don't know how many times I've been with uh, a leader and we're maybe at a, something very pleasant. We're out to eat or something. And then there's a phone call and then they're with us. And then they suddenly have to take this call you can see it, you can see their emotions shift and they get off the phone, they come back and you say, well, what's, what's going on? And they tell you this story and it's this ongoing thing, uh, that's a little bit conflict oriented and they have to learn how to put that back in the box. You see, you create a box for each one of these circumstances. And when you're in the present moment, this is how I handle it at least when you're in the present moment whether it's dealing with a a baby pouting person or you're dealing with uh, uh, spiritual receptivity and this new opportunity that you could just go crazy. If that's all you had to do, you'd love it. But it's not all you have to do. It's one of the things that you're involved in. So whenever you're there, your present moment, you give it everything you can. But then as you turn to walk away and go to your next responsibility, you just got to take that thing and put it back in its box and just be content that you've done your very best with it in the time that you could give to it, and you're going to have to walk on. And that's what he does. He just walks on. He's not interested. Verse 13, he just retreats. Uh, he withdraws from the area. 
it's not worth dealing with these guys today. Nothing good's going to happen in this town. We're just going to have a whole day of battling Pharisees, and I'm just, I just don't want to deal with it. And so he backs away, and uh, verse 13, he leaves them, he gets into the boat again, and he goes back to another place. And verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring food themselves. They didn't have anything. There was one loaf of bread for all uh, 13 of them. And Jesus begins to stew over this thing he just had with the Pharisees. It won't go away. And he wants to talk to the disciples about it because the Pharisees are very influential. They have the power. Uh, everybody looks up to them. They've got that uh, that um, I-thou manner of self-righteous conservative religion. And so he wants to talk to them about it. And he turns and he says, Hey, you guys be careful, verse 15. Beware of the the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, these are different. He's talking about influence and how that there's a corrupting influence that these two groups of people have. The Pharisees have the uh, religious show of piety. It's conservative, but it's bigoted. They are always right. And they have this show of outer piety. These people were very diligent in their fasting, in their praying, and they were very careful to do these things in public to be a good example to others. And and a lot of people did look up to them because they were so zealous about, you know, spiritual exercises and religious things. And so uh, they were influential. They gained the power. So he says... You know, you watch out for these guys. They'll start to influence you. You'll start to listen to them. And before you know it, you're going to wear their style of clothing and you're going to start holding yourself in that pious, you know, clergy kind of manner. And he said, watch that. That will get into you and it will do something to you. And then there's a second group he wants them to watch out for. He said, and watch out for the leaving of Herod. Okay, now he's talking about uh, political power that gets wrapped up with uh, the religious. And they're just going to use the religious. You know, they've got political means uh, like the Crusades in the Middle Ages. You know, there were political objectives. And so you wrap it around a call for good Christians to step forward and, and love the Lord in battle, and then there's somebody, you know, behind the screens pointing you to the battles they want you to fight on their behalf. Um, you know, the Bush era, the second George Bush era, was um, was really uh, ushered in and attended by great participation from conservative American Christians. And uh, it looked like it was an amazing uh, sweep of power from the right and uh, that the Christians had gone in now and that they had real authority in government and that we were going to be able then to roll back some of the uh, perverting and, uh, you know, some of the influence of the, um, of the Clinton era with all his sex scandals and all the liberal policies that he brought in. But behind the scenes, you know, we later get these interviews from Christian uh, Bush-era staffers 
who describe the way that politicians use religious leaders. And the thing that he said always amazed him was the effect that they had on uh, on pastors. He said, you know, you got these pastors and they are they are spiritual men. They are respected for their their commitment. They are respected for their wisdom and for the influence they have, for the way they, they walk with God and can lead the people in right ways. And so you respect these men so highly. And then you invite these guys into the White House and they get to have their picture made, you know, in the Oval Office. And if the president's there, you know, he will greet them personally. And he said, you have never seen such fawning and and bowing. You know, these guys were totally um, overwhelmed and impressed with governmental power. They wanted to tell everybody they had been there. You know, this was such a major event in their life. And he said, and we knew, you know, we had them at that point. We could ask them, you know, they would... Uh, they'd speak our position out in their congregation. They might even let us come and bring representatives to church one Sunday and, you know, kind of pitch our policy initiative or whatever it is we needed the churches to get behind us to support. But the point was the leaving of Herod, you know, the influence of mixing political power and letting religious leaders taste a bit of that. And Jesus says, watch it. This will get inside of you. It's political power wrapped in religion. And the other one is a conservative re- religion as a show in front of other people. And he said, you've got to watch these things. They will get inside of you and you'll be changed. And the disciples listen to that. <laughs> I mean, that's so important what Jesus is sharing. It's just so powerful. And uh, they listen to that and they go, uh, verse 14, you know, darn, we forgot to bring bread. And he's just like, <laughs> he gets so upset with him. You know, he's banging his head against the boat. I can just see him doing that in verse 16. It doesn't say that. I'm just adding it. Um, he said, oh, I get it. We didn't bring bread. And Jesus goes, ah. Why are you asking a question about bread? Do you not yet perceive? Don't you understand? Is your heart still hardened? I want to come back to that. Do you have eyes that don't see? Do you have ears, but you can't hear out of them? Do you not remember? And then he goes on to explain, you know, when I don't have bread, we just make bread. You know, we have bread miracles. It's not about bread. Verse 21. How is it that you do not understand you know when i'm talking to you about things like this how can it be that you guys don't get it but you know he used a word there and he he said uh is your heart still verse 17 is your heart still hardened porao it means petrified calloused uh a spiritual deafness and uh, he assumes the position, and I think it's how the Bible pres- uh, presents it. We have, because of sin, a natural calloused deafness to God's truth. And you can't get it because it's new to you. You can only see what you know. You understand what you already understand. And everything has to fit in that, you know, it gets filtered by that. 
and perception is reality. So if you don't see it, it's not real to you. Uh, and so when God's going to share a truth with us, he has to do something in us by the Holy Spirit. And and Jesus knows that has happened to them. The Holy Spirit has opened their mind, their eyes, their heart, their ears. And he's just so frustrated that they're not listening to what he says as spiritual men. They're just thinking in you know human terms still. How can you still be like this, he says. What a day in the life of Jesus. He goes from a high that has exhausted him from ministry. He's done three days, full days of teaching all day long. You know, he's just exhausted from that. And then he steps right into a conflict that drains whatever emotion he had left. And now he's in a frustrating conflict. conversation with his disciples and he's seeing a lack of results in his very closest disciples and that's how the day ends you know just a day bummed out but i'm glad it's in the scriptures because you know what that's how it is sometimes sometimes there's no resolution by the end of the day there's no happy ending today it's coming but it's not today And you just have to soldier on and do, you know, take the hard yards of taking territory for the kingdom. It's not something that, you know, it always cracks on the first hit. You may have to pound it and pound it and pound it. I watched a guy one day breaking up a sidewalk, and the sidewalk was probably six inches thick of concrete, and his employers had given him a medium-sized hammer not even a massive sledge a kind of a mini sledge and that was it you know is if they'd given him air tools or you know a jack hammer or something he could have busted that thing up quickly and i drove by that site a couple times that day and i just watched this poor guy but he didn't quit he had his chisel he had his hammer and he knew not to try to cut it in the middle He just went for the edges and kept chipping away at it and kept chipping away at it, and he just wouldn't stop. And by the end of the day, he had reduced it to a pile of rubble that they could haul away. William Carey, early missionary, uh, father, said, I owe every bit of success in my life to this one skill, and that is that I can plod. I can put one foot in front of the other one when the day is tough and the going is hard. I can just keep walking slowly, but I can keep walking. And he said, I owe everything to that ability. There's a stamina that a leader builds up over time. He can take hostility. He can give out because when you find receptive people, you just give. You give them everything you can because you're so elated to have found receptivity. So you've got, um, you know, it, it wears you out on all sides. The good stuff empties you the conflict stuff just really hurts you and then when your own internal circle is not what you want it to be whether it's your marriage or your friendships or your staff it just you know it just brings you down that's okay don't quit you know, don't give up don't stop just because you're having a bad day you know kick back at the end of the day find something to blow off some of that steam, you need to exercise and sweat and get yourself, you know, purged. Uh, because, and then get a good night's sleep and thank God every day starts over 
and we get to do it again the next day. And, and a lot of days turn out much, much better than those. But you're going to have to take some bad days as a leader and just deal with it. So there endeth the lesson. Uh, I want to invite you to visit the EmergeNetwork.org website. But uh, for the next, uh, this is January of 2010. For the first quarter of this year, we're going to update almost daily uh, another website that will relate to the goings-on at our school, Media Light. And so this website is medialight.ning.com. So if you want to check that out on a daily basis, then there's also our family's personal blog, quinley.com, where you can find this podcast and uh, our daily musings about what's going on in our personal life and in our ministry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Thread.